Welcome to the Let's Talk podcast Life in Lockdown from the University of Edinburgh and Edinburgh Students Association, keeping us together and sharing experiences in this extraordinary period of social distancing. I'm Harriet Harris, the University Chaplain, and today I'm talking to Alison Hendry, the British Sign Language Development Officer with the Student Disability Service. Alison is joined for this podcast by her BSL interpreter, Anna Spence. Alison tells us about the challenges for communication and technology that lockdown has presented for her and her appreciation of the BSL Scotland Act 2015, which led to her post being created at the university and which also means that all COVID-19 announcements from the Scottish Government are given with a BSL interpreter in the room so that she is not missing any important government updates. Alison also talks about the anxiety of moving her BSL teaching online how imposter syndrome can kick in and how regular connections with family and friends helps her to keep her spirits up. Alison, thanks ever so much for coming to join me today. And Anna, thank you very much for coming as well as as BSL interpreter. So, Alison, could you introduce yourself? Yeah, of course. So I'm Alison Hendry and I'm talking to an interpreter, Anna. Uh, because I'm deaf myself and I use BSL. Um, So I'm the BSL Development Officer for the University of Edinburgh and I started last year in October 2019. Yeah and it's great to have you, great to have you at the university, really good. Um, Very much. (laughs) (laughs) So you started October 2019 and now here we are, um, well we're in May but we've been locked down since March you didn't have long to get your feet under the desk. Yes. <laughs> no, um, it's actually really funny because at the moment, obviously, I'm based in Patterson's land. Um, well, technically should be. But on the day, the first official day of lockdown, I'm supposed to be moving into the new health and wellbeing centre. So um, I'm supposed to be joining the disability services team there. But it was such a shame because, of course, we never got the chance to move. So really, my new office now, where I've moved to, is in my home. So I do have a new desk and I do have a new area, but it's not what I expected to be experiencing right now. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely, yes. We're all in these strange offices, aren't we, at the moment? And obviously, I think we just have to get used to the changes and the adaptations because I've been home now for eight weeks, I think. Wow, absolutely. It's been a bit of an adjustment anyway, um, just trying to keep things fresh and make sure the days aren't um, the same because my flat's actually quite small so at the moment uh, I'm actually set up in my bedroom <laughs> but I've got options of the bedroom or the living room so I, I switch between them and try and adjust every few weeks to keep things fresh. Sounds like a good plan and and I wanted to ask you Alison about the the main challenges for you of lockdown. Well I think really both personally and professionally, um, it's just been the lack of connection and communication with people. Um, because personally, um, I'm on my own here in the flat, and I'm from Glasgow, but I live in Edinburgh, so it means that my mum and my two sisters are in Glasgow, and uh, so I can't, you know, just pop over to visit them, um, because I'm obviously further away. But of course, with technology, I can FaceTime people, I can keep in touch via texting. But the same is true for work professionally as well. You know, I had a lot of contact with my managers and colleagues when I was in the office, but I think because I'm, I'm deaf, um, most hearing people can pick up the phone and call each other at any time. But for me, I feel like I have to wait, you know, and make sure that I've got an interpreter booked and ready uh, before I can contact, some, contact someone remotely. 
but really I'm, I'm very lucky as well because I work regularly with my interpreters three days a week so I know that I can have that continuous contact but a lot of the time communication is really really important and if I want to get in touch with people sometimes I feel like I can't just do that on any day at any occasion I feel like I have to put things on hold so that's been that's been difficult and I think a lot of people maybe don't realize that um, and they don't realize the struggle that deaf people face with that communication and like I said thank goodness for technology because you know 10 years ago 20 years ago this would have been so much more difficult without the access to the things we have online so yeah it's been it's been difficult yeah, I can really, yeah, thank you so much for conveying that because uh, setting up uh, meetings and holding meetings online is tiring anyway. And, you know, a lot of people are finding that, uh, you know, a, a row of meetings online takes a different kind of energy and in some ways more energy than a row of face-to-face meetings. Uh, but... Um, needing to set up meetings not just with your own diary in mind but with your diary of the diary of your interpreters um and then um to to need to engage with in various dimensions uh whilst you're online must be even more tiring yeah definitely and i think also because you know for the first two weeks or so i was just really sort of stressed and i think most of my time i felt like that because i wanted to make sure the technology was working mm. and also make sure that it was working for the interpreters as well and to do things remotely i mean luckily thank goodness my manager's been very flexible flexible through all and he's found different ways and different platforms for us to communicate and i think you know we started through ms teams and i was i was a bit slow to adjust to it but i can see touch wood <laughs> touch wood that things have moved on a little bit where it's now more um smooth and um, i think my manager and the staff um accept that we can use different platforms if they're not working now and um, but like i said working with interpreters face to face it's a lot easier to pick up information because bsl is a 3d language so it means we can mm. see and the different visuals but having to do this now to via screen is actually a lot more difficult for both myself and for the interpreters as well having to make sure that we're picking up the information correctly so um i think it's interesting because i've been using obviously video calls with my friends we use that a lot but with hearing people it maybe seems to be more tiring for them to do it remote so I wonder if that's given that a little bit more empathy to see how we feel because we've been using some of these systems for a while. Now people realise the real difficulty yeah. that it is. Um, and obviously, like you said, it's difficult for all um, uh, involved. But I think that now we're going through the same challenges, just in different ways. Mm, really insightful question. It's giving people a window into um, giving hearing people a window into non-hearing people's lives. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I think a lot of um, my colleagues have recognised that as well. They've become a lot more respectful and aware of that because I felt like before I had to match their calendars for meetings, mm. but now they're saying, oh, no, we, we want to match your calendar. So it's and making sure that interpreters are available, like you said, and making sure that I'm not too exhausted after a, a whole list of meetings. Like you uh, said, when you do that online, you do become exhausted. Mm. So having those regular breaks throughout the day as well and having good... Um, connections and needing to work together I mean respecting each other is the key for all of that absolutely is yeah I wouldn't mind having you having your uh, advice actually for diary management Alison because I'm struggling to put in 
sufficient gaps between meetings, actually, much as I know, you know, up here in my head that it's a good idea to do that, doesn't always happen. I think I have to say I'm the same. I mean, some days I have quiet days and I use that opportunity to catch up on my work and then other, but then those days I miss the, the cooperation and the interaction with people because I'm not having that regular interaction. So mm. I think I like to have meetings even if it's just for five minutes at a time. And then it's nice to actually have the discussion with someone. Um, like I said, because I'm on my own, I'm not seeing people in, in real life. So it's nice, um, with or without an interpreter, just to see um, someone's face. For yeah. example, my manager and I, we can have a one-to-one chat, just for 10 minutes, have a discuss, have a discussion. So it's nice to have that. And I think it's important to have those breaks, like you said, and have your own you time to focus on different things. Yeah, Absolutely. Um, Alison, did you grow up with BSL? Um, I actually know my first language is English okay. uh, because I'm the only deaf person in my family. Okay. So all of my family are hearing. Um, and I've been learning BSL now, I think, since I was about 11. Um, but I use my most, my main mode of communication um, at home was spoken English. Um, but obviously, in the past year, few years, um, BSL has become my preferred language. It's how I prefer to receive information. And I'm confident in my speech as well. But I'm not so sure that I would pick up everything mm. uh, with reading for spoken English. So my family and I have our own home signs, home, uh, our own ways of communicating. But with others, I definitely prefer to work with my interpreters to make sure that I can have full access uh, to the conversation or the communication um, and the information in BSL. Oh, thank you. So so at home, when you were uh, growing up, so before the age of 11, were you developing uh, just sort of in-house ways of, of um, sign communication as, as well as spoken English? So you'd have a sort of family Hendry set of signs? Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because at that time... I was diagnosed as deaf when I was eight months old. Um, so my parents were completely clueless about deafness. They had a lot of worries and a lot of, obviously, they were upset about the issue. I had hearing aids from when I was one. And then, um, and also the doctors at that time, they said to my parents not to sign to me um, because they wanted me to speak. Okay. Um, so, of course, my parents took the advice of the doctors because at that time, like I said, they didn't know anything about deafness. But my mum has told me over and over again that she wishes back then she'd known about the communication. Like, you asked me, you know, what are the barriers for me? Communication is number one. Mm. I think my mum wishes that she'd learned sign before that. But at the same time, obviously, I have to applaud my parents um, because they took me to speech therapy and they they made sure that I had... um, the use of speech that I have today, which is great. Yeah. So, uh, like I said, I'm not fully confident in it, but I'm thankful to have the skill. And my sisters have been helpful as well because I'm in the middle of two. I'm in the middle of uh, the three of us, so uh. an older sister, younger sister, and they've both helped me um, as well in their own ways. So we work together with the communication, and yeah, like I said, we have our own sort of signs that we've developed, and it's nice to know. Obviously, my mum tries her best every time I visit my mum. She'll have taught herself or say I want to practice these signs um but I think she in the back of her mind does have that regret or the wish that she'd learned that a bit earlier anyway well we all work with the best advice and resources we have at the time don't we and I'm yeah. probably the advice is it's the suggestion I'm getting from you I think I'm getting from you is that the advice would be slightly different now but maybe that's not the case yes absolutely okay. I think it's 
scenes at that time. Obviously, times have changed since then. And definitely, there's a lot more people in the deaf community promoting uh, BSL. And the important thing is within the family as well as for communication. So actually, uh, last week, it was Deaf Awareness Week, um, and I was posting various videos every day um, just for little tips about how to communicate with a deaf person. Not just through BSL, but also through speaking. Um, so one of the last days on Sunday, um, I did a video with my mum. Oh. I wanted her perspective as a parent of a deaf child, and she gave really, really good advice, good tips. Um, and I think a lot of people really valued that and appreciated that because I'm sure people are maybe fed up of me seeing uh, of seeing me uh, give my experience, but from her perspective, it was really different. And she, like she said, things have changed a lot um, now. There's a lot more role models for people to see, a lot more deaf professionals. There still aren't enough, um, I feel personally, there isn't enough to make it as much of an impact as we would like, but mm. definitely compared to that time, there's a lot more um, options available to people, whereas back then it was, this is the best way forward and that's it. Yeah. But now people are slightly more open-minded, they see the different possibilities for speech, communication and BSL. Um, so I think a lot of people have that awareness and they have the different options at hand. I'd love to see uh, the, the video, actually, Alison. Would you, are you able to send a link and we can put it into the web page for this podcast? Yeah. That would be really good. Yeah, that would be really, really helpful. Um, what other things, uh, in terms of, of challenges, and of course the Scottish government, whenever they're making announcements about um, the particularly about the COVID situation uh, and hopefully in, in all other things too, they do always have an interpreter uh, and the Westminster government doesn't. <laughs> and uh, I'm, I'm wondering what, you're, what you want to say about that and whether you feel you are getting adequate information that you need to keep you safe and to keep you updated as to nation, national decisions and safety concerns. Um. I'm actually really, really excited to see that the Scottish Government have the interpreters with them for the announcements. Mm. And I think that's partly linked to because we have the BSL Scotland Act 2015 in right. Scotland. Um, and that's part of the reason why I'm in my post as a BSL development mm. officer, mm. Um, because the University of Edinburgh have our own BSL plan. Um, but that's a, another story. But the Scottish Government have been great every day because they physically have the interpreter next to them uh, present at the briefing. I know Westminster have the occasional interpreters, but it's not provided in the same room. Um, it's provided through the BBC, so I feel like it's a disconnect. Mm. And also, it seems that it isn't for every TV channel, so I feel like it's only one channel they have the interpreter on. Um, so they don't have them across the, the rest of the broadcasters. Uh, it's just focused on one channel. But with mm. the Scottish Government, like you said, they're really showing uh, the interpreters across all channels. Yeah. And because they have interpreter physically next to them it, you feel like there's more of a connection there when you're watching it because they're in the room yeah um obviously i think for the interpreters as well they can hear a lot better what's being said in the situation rather than being in a different room it's a lot more difficult to make sure the information has been received properly um and i think it you know, every day the information, doesn't matter what the information is, it's important that we have the access to it. And so I'm really, really grateful that we're aware of the right steps that are happening, what the process is. And it means that we can also be updated 
um, on, on what's been going on with that information. So, of course, yes, we have subtitles, but BSL is a different language from English. Mm. So, not all deaf people understand English. No. Um, and that's why we have the BSL interpreter, and that's why it's so important because it's a language in its own right, and it has uh, everyone has the right to access that information. So I'm really pleased to see Scottish government leading the way on that. I know Wales and Northern Ireland they have the same setup with the interpreters as well, but it's a shame that London uh, and England don't, don't mm. have. Uh, and I'm disappointed for my friends who live in England because yeah. they don't have that access. Yeah, yeah. And as you say, and if and if the interpreter's not in the same room and on the same screen then presumably there's an extra barrier that or hurdle that you have to jump over in order to, to find the place where you can access the interpreter, where it's much, much more helpful to just have it there. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, like I said, I don't want to talk to the interpreters, but I expect the experience uh, for watching it um, is with an interpreter in the same room. I know it's easier for the um, interpreters to have speakers next to them because it means they can pick up on the information and also slightly off topic maybe but it's the same situation when you're working remote because if you have a face-to-face meeting and you have someone next to you talking or if you have it remote via web channels then it's much more difficult to hear people in a three-way setup with the interpreter somewhere yeah. because sometimes we can struggle you know if things are separate separated then it's a bit more of a struggle whereas when you're next to the people in a room it's a lot easier yeah no thank you for that and Alison you were saying that not everybody of course, not everybody who who speaks BSL um, reads English. Uh, do you yourself read English? Yes. Yeah. So I can. I mean, I wouldn't. I got a higher A in my English oh, wow. years and years and years ago, mm-hmm. but I feel I'm confident with my English. But there are some things still that I feel with jargon and with words that I would rather have translated mm-hmm. into BSL just because I want to make sure that I get the right meaning, the right mm. understanding behind those. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes I will ask interpreters just to translate um, text, or uh, especially if I'm typing as well. For example, if I'm typing up uh, guidance or reports, I like to check with the interpreters to make sure that I have phrased uh, them in the right way and that I'm on the, the right track. Because I feel like um, because I've become more um I've used BSL more recently uh, in the past years. I feel like my English has slightly, um, my confidence with English has slightly gone down now compared to beforehand. Oh. I'm confident, like I said, in BSL, but with my English, sometimes it's a bit iffy. Yeah. So, so like with any language that has is, is no longer your first language, or uh, you know that when you when you don't use it so much, you begin to lose it a little bit. I feel like I wouldn't say I still. English is my first language. Okay. Mm-hmm. BSL is my preferred mm-hmm. language. Preferred language. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Thanks very much. That's that's really helpful clarification, and I think really helpful um, to to be aware that subtitles are not are not they're simply not the answer for everybody, and they're not they're not the the preferred answer for many people. Uh, I would say yes and no because I I think. Yes, obviously, subtitles are still important for people because um, really um, anyone, um, any video, any audio, anything that's created without subtitles isn't obviously going to be accessible. Mm. Um, but so it means that if we have the subtitles there, then it'd be a little bit better for access for those who um, are deaf, hard of hearing. But at the same time, um, subtitles potentially won't match all those who use BSL um 
it won't match their needs completely. Yeah. So it annoys yeah. or irritates me more maybe when I see videos or anything uh, on websites without any sort of subtitling mm. or access because maybe people are excited to watch that or listen to that but they can't access it at all mm. because it means I'm losing that information, it means I'm losing the access to that. So I would say yes, obviously captioning and subtitles are great as a backup. Okay. But if that that's if things can't be translated obviously into BSL. So it's better than nothing, absolutely. Yes. Okay. Oh well thanks very much. Alison, can you say a bit about uh things that you might be discovering during this period of lockdown that you might not have discovered otherwise? That's a good question. Um I think the main thing for me has probably been my connection with the interpreters who are mm. working from remotely because um, I think beforehand, before lockdown, like I said, obviously, I was really grateful to have interpreters working with me regularly. Um, when I came in to work face-to-face, it was really good to have them there with me. Um, and obviously, I felt like we could have casual conversations or meetings and and a lot of different um, setups. But now I've realised actually how much I value the hard work that they do because without them, obviously, I wouldn't be able to have any sort of connection um, through this period. So uh, without the interpreters, I would really, really struggle to try and contact people. I can hear through my cochlear implants, so I I can hear some uh, sounds, but I don't pick up 100%. So I think it's a new way of obviously communicating through this remote setup with the interpreters. And I never thought about doing that before. And actually, there are a lot of services that offer this kind of setup with interpreters who are remote. But I've always preferred face-to-face, like I said, for different reasons. And the whole 2D and 3D comparison with the language. But I also like to know who I'm working with for my regular interpreters. I like to have that connection with them. So with services that provide this, often it's someone different. Uh, so I prefer to know who that is. Mm. So that's been a big thing for me, actually, through lockdown, is discovering this new method of communication. And I think a lot of colleagues um, as well, I've developed a lot of respect, and they've developed a lot of respect through this um, remote communication, like we were talking about before, people being exhausted through the meetings and mm. um, this sort of visual way of communicating. I think people really have understood my experience as well. And they start to realise, oh, okay, yeah, this is a different experience for someone. Uh, and how we can prepare and how we can work together in the best possible way. And I think that's been a big thing that I've found through lockdown. Right. So partly what you're partly you're seeing other people's discoveries <laughs> in a way, seeing people's awareness grow which is 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 good yeah good thing to be able to good thing to be able to say isn't it i think also as well sorry um i think just another thing um to add to that as well um part of my work i had to um teach some bsl awareness training Uh and really my plan beforehand was to do face-to-face training uh, of course but then we had to move this all online uh, all teaching was moved online because of uh, the lockdown. So that's been a really interesting experience for myself because, one, I wanted to make sure technology was working well and the availability of interpreters, but then also the content as well. Um, because I think at that time, looking back, I taught, I think it was two weeks ago that I taught um, to a cohort of about 17 people. And really at the end, it was a great success. And I felt those people really enjoyed it and were interested. But the build up really, um, it caused me a lot of uh, fear and anxiety mm-hmm. because I was so worried about the technology. And actually, thank goodness, having the interpreters there because 
I had imagined a half day of training in one room and that would be fine. But because of the setup, we, we tried to break it out down into smaller sessions. Mm. And, but through the week, that actually seemed to work really well. And um, I gave feedback to my manager afterwards. And we said, you know, in the future, we should potentially set up some more events like this online. And I'm sort of on the fence because I understand that we play back to carry on, carry on in the same way. But like I said before, maybe you can see from me signing now, BSL is such a visual language. So teaching online potentially isn't as impactful or as, you know, effect, effective enough um, as it would be face to face. So that's another thing that I've definitely discovered uh, through lockdown that wouldn't have if mm. not, because a lot of people learn and a lot of people learn in different ways and people teach in different ways. You can't just um, set up one way and expect it to work well. We have to see how how things go. So it's definitely been an interesting learning experience. Really interesting, and actually a very pertinent question as we come up uh, to thinking about hybrid. Uh, teaching for next semester isn't it when we'll have some students on site and some students online and uh we're trying to think how we can teach the two the two different cohorts whether they'll all have to be taught separately or whether they can be taught together in some way so I think Alison your experience of teaching something which was intended to be physically in the same space but having to move it online probably gets you a little bit ahead of the game uh in terms of people preparing for next semester yeah I would, I'm aware, obviously, that one of my colleagues, um, Audrey Cameron, Dr. Audrey Cameron, she's um, been, uh, she works at Money House herself, and she's deaf, a BSL user as well, and she teaches uh, chemistry, and oh, maybe I'm wrong with it, but sorry, Audrey, but she's uh, teaching chemistry, and I know she's been really struggling as well, because, of course, similar mm. to me, the barriers are the same, and that, obviously, the connection with her students is a lot different and a lot of the, the work that they do within that is practical and has to be done within a lab. Yeah. So I would be interested to hear from her, her experience after this to see how that would carry on, like you said, in that hybrid way. Because I'm, I expect that there will be theory online, but the practical, would that require people coming back into the labs or would that be things they would have to do off on their own? Because I know with, with science, um, I, there's a lot of dangerous chemicals that are involved in these things that they wouldn't be allowed to have, obviously, outside of the labs. So there's a lot of learning to be done in different ways. So I definitely need to ask Audrey how her experience has been and what her thinking is for going forward as well. Um, but I know she says the same as me. I think she wants to be back face-to-face because of the visual aspect that comes with teaching using BSL. Yeah. Um, it's a lot different from using 2D um than speaking in English. Yeah, uh, really helpful to hear that. Um, and Alison, can you tell us a bit about things that you're enjoying, ways you're keeping yourself buoyant, and perhaps ways that you um, manage the sort of fear and anxiety that you described uh, that you had before you started the online teaching? So what is it that keeps you up, keeps your spirits up? I think overall... So far, I think obviously at the start, um, I said there was a lot of worry and anxiety um, because I didn't want to lose contact with colleagues and uh, my manager and those in the workplace because I was just starting to build up my confidence and connection with those people. And then, of course, lockdown started. And also, like I mentioned before, uh, I moved, I was excited to move into the new building and I was excited to work with other colleagues in there. And then um, I didn't want to lose that. So 
I mean, obviously, looking forward to that, I'm excited, but I'm also a bit nervous to go back because I feel like that'll be starting fresh again. But I know, obviously, the colleagues who will be in the building with me now, so I feel like I know them. But it does feel like a fresh fresh start, and I'll be the newbie again. <laughs> but I actually think that so far, over time, in lockdown, I've become used to staying at home. And I think, obviously, because of my setup, it's been fine. But at the same time, being on my own, obviously because there's been nobody to, to just chat to, through the day I have conversations, uh, maybe online talking to colleagues or through my with my interpreters, just nice to have conversation. But it means in the evening it's nice to just switch off as well. And because I'm staring at a screen all day, uh, I don't really tend to watch all that much TV, so maybe that's a good thing. Um, <laughs> actually putting the TV to one side. I've enjoyed doing other things, like I bought a colouring book. Oh, uh, so that's wonderful. really helpful actually mm. uh, the book. and I've done a few quizzes uh, online as well with family and with friends um, and that's been really helpful, been really nice um, but I think probably the worst week was like I said before the training, I just was feeling quite anxious about all of that and I don't know why looking back now why that um, tear was there because it went smoothly, it all went well but I think there's something maybe inside that I need to be a bit more confident myself with so I definitely uh, I feel like I, I've got a bit of an imposter syndrome um, sometimes when it comes to my work so when it's big things I feel often that I shouldn't be involved or they won't work well and yeah I just need to squash that feeling a little bit and be more confident in myself for sure but I think um What's been getting me through this and keeping me calm has been keeping in touch with family and friends. And um, if I didn't have that contact, I would definitely be struggling. Yeah. That, so thanks. I'm getting used to that. Yeah. That, that's so helpfully put. And I think what, what you say about imposter syndrome will be striking a chord with very, very many of our listeners because it's, it's so um, paramount, really. It, and, and it's very common in universities, um, but outside of universities, too um that feeling that oh what you know it shouldn't be me it should be some someone else will be able to do this better or you know why did I ever think I'd be able to do this you know those, those sorts of feelings and and what you mentioned about keeping the connection with your family and friends as something that really keeps you going um is so helpful in relation to imposter syndrome because the more that we feel uh connected to others the more that we understand that that who we are um, and and our worth to people lies in in our connectedness with them, and not in how well we've achieved a, a teaching session or a, <laughs> you know. So it helps to keep imposter syndrome um, under control a little bit when you realise that that the value comes from the relationships you have with others. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's interesting as well because I feel like myself personally, I'm quite an introvert, mm-hmm. and um. I've become a little bit more introverted over time with not wanting to connect with people, but actually during lockdown, I miss seeing people. I miss being able to go out and be around people, even if I'm not talking to them, just to have people um, out and around me. So I feel like during this time and when we go back to so-called normal, whatever that might be, I will definitely be trying more and making more of an effort to have those connections uh, with people. And Obviously, like I said, I've got a bit of wavering confidence with uh, with that because I think partly because of my deafness and although I do speak and sign, sometimes when I'm talking to people, I might not understand them fully. Mm. Um, 
and so sometimes I'm quite bad for letting them know to um, repeat things if I miss it. So I definitely feel through this, I'll be able to have the confidence to say, you know, please support me through this and yeah. I'll support you as well. Um, but also, like I said, I'm just really appreciative of the support from family, friends and my manager um, as well, because I think those people have been really uh, helpful over this time. And I appreciate that. And I think the work that I'm doing has been good, but sometimes, yeah. you know, you feel those barriers. Mm. So it means that I have to change priorities. Um, and those people have been really helpful, the flexibility. Um, and it's also been good to connect with others as well to understand their priorities as well. So I feel a bit like, obviously, it's been a sticky situation, but I'm, I feel like the work that I've been doing has been going well so far, mm. and I just need to believe in myself a bit more. And I think your invitation to people to please support me through this and I will support you is such a lovely invitation, actually, that who could refuse, you know, who could resist that? And actually, you really, it's really a way to bring other people on side. And I think, so, you know, all, all of us will lack confidence in, in areas of our lives and are so helped when other people say so, <laughs> you know, rather than pretend that they're just feeling totally on top of things and have got it totally sussed. So thank you. I think that's that's a really lovely um really lovely lovely way of, of being with people and alongside people and inviting them to be alongside you yeah absolutely so. I think um I think I've become a lot more uh or a little bit more confident with letting people know that I need the support because sometimes it's hard to say if you're struggling and I think before I was very reticent I would, I would just sort of keep things closed off um but I think it's just important to ask whether it's a small thing or a big thing just to put the question out there, ask for that support. Um, sometimes, obviously, you feel like you've got a stupid question because you're worried over small things or maybe you're making it more difficult for yourself. Um, but I think it's important to ask uh, people for support. And I think for me, that has been a worry because I didn't want to pester people all of the time. But actually, I just think it's better to ask than not to ask at all. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying, obviously, a lot of the time to... Uh, speak to colleagues and to family and friends and say to them it's fine to ask as well even if you feel it's a bit stupid um, uh, of a question you might not realise until afterwards sometimes I tend to act before <laughs> I think but I actually think it's important like I said just to keep asking those questions um, rather than not to ask anything at all I agree Alison thanks so much for um, coming to speak today it's been really really good to hear you and uh, wish you well throughout the rest of lockdown and then when you do get back into the well-being centre which I think everybody would like to see your services move into that that nice new building so thank you and and thank you to Anna for for being with us as well and interpreting thank you very much thank Thank you you. take care for the latest university COVID-19 advice and news go to the University of Edinburgh website and you'll find all the links you need at the top of the homepage. If you would like to discuss any issues affecting you from this podcast or would like welfare support during lockdown, you can contact the university's listening service by emailing listening.service at ed.ac.uk. The listening service is run by the chaplaincy and is for all Edinburgh students and staff.